thought about this. It's, it's kind of sad. Uh, Jim, I think we've talked about this, but I think the last I heard was 26 veterans, average suicide a day. Does that sound right? Through depression, a lot of things. So uh, as you know, on the West Side, one of the things we meet in the AMVET uh, building, and we're trying to still find ways to bridge uh, relationships with our veterans, because I'll tell you what, it's a, a lot of them are battling a lot of things. So I'm so glad we had the opportunity uh, to just lift them up this evening. Um, I'd like to take your scriptures and go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Uh, we're talking about generosity reimagined, and the title is Settling for Less. So this is going to be kind of a tough message, and I'm going to be I'm not going to lie to you here uh, when you talk about settling for less, because that is not in our culture in any way to settle for less. And as we enter the holidays, um, it's almost embarrassing how focused we are on getting stuff. But I want to look at it more from not just a physical and financial perspective, but I want to get into the spiritual of what God puts into our lives to help us settle for less. And we're going to get into that. There's a TED Talks I saw the other day. It was Chelsea. Uh, her name is Chelsea Handel. And uh, she is a radio host. And she is an excellent radio host. And she had a talk called 10 Ways to Have Better Conversations. Now, we're not gonna, I'm not going to give you all 10. I'm going to give you seven. So I'm just lying. Okay, but I do want to give you a couple. Here's number one. Listen, we can talk, are you ready for this? We can talk at a rate of 225 words a minute. How many of you ever talked to somebody and you're like, I think you can beat 225? Anybody know anybody like that? You might be sitting by them. Okay. But you can listen, interestingly enough, you can listen and comprehend 500 words a minute. Now, do you see where the tension is? is I know you've never done this, but I'm listening to somebody, and I'm already three steps ahead. Like, they haven't even got to the end of their story, and sometimes I'll even think, I can beat your story. Do you, you ever do that? So that's not even listening. Listening conversationally is that you actually engage in listening. I love this quote by Calvin Coolidge, no man ever listened his way out of a job. Isn't that great? No man ever listened his way if you think of your closest friends, my guess is one of them, at least one of them, is a really good listener. The other one that I love about conversation is be brief. You ever have somebody that's in conversation sharing a story, and you're like, seriously, you got to get around the barn. I mean, they're telling you so many details, and like you've already gone back and forth. I mean, in your mind, you've been to Hawaii several times. I mean, you've just traveled because it's like, oh, my land, land the plane. But I, I got to be honest, uh, the reason why, as far as being brief, it's not that uh, you allow the other person to be brief, it's you be brief. Like, in other words, don't be in such a hurry to share your story that you're not really listening to someone else's story. And I love what she said. The reason she said I'm a very good host is I'm a good listener, and I want to be brief with my opinions because I really want to hear the heart of the person I'm interviewing and then I want to be prepared to be amazed. Because all of a sudden somebody allows you into their lives. Conversations are such a huge part of our lives. And it's so sad how many conversations we have in the course of a week. And yet uh, we have so few conversations that we actually remember. I want to share with you a conversation that it's interesting that it's, has stuck with me for years and it has so much to do with this settling for less. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we were uh, been married for probably a couple years, and there was an older woman in our church at Sherwood Oaks time, this is back in the 80s, uh, and her name was Wanda Kirkpatrick. 
And she had served with her husband, who was an accountant for, I think, 10 or more years as an accountant over in Africa. She had this very simple apartment, but she just relished life. She was just one of the, she's just one of the neatest ladies. Matter of fact, there's this thing called the Purple Hat Club. Have you ever heard of the Purple Hat Club? She ran that in Bloomington for a while. So, I mean, she was just, she was just one of these gals, just so full of life. So we're sitting in her apartment, and so she said, hey, John, I want to tell you a story how I got to Africa. I said, sure. She goes, my husband, who is an accountant, so I never saw this one coming, said, I think I can help all these missionaries and, that we support if I go over to Africa as an accountant, I can help them get all their finances in order. She said, well, you mean like a year or so? And he goes, well, I don't know how long. I just think we need to, to step out in faith. And she said, okay. He said, so I need you to start packing. She said, okay. He said, to make a list out. So she makes this long list, and he came home about every other day, and he'd look at the list, and he'd scratch a couple things off the list. And this, this went on for a long period of time. Finally, she was getting pretty frustrated, and she said, okay, I've just about had it with you. She goes, I just threw the list away. Here's two suitcases and me. Is that all you want to take to Africa? And he goes, well, can you narrow it to one suitcase? I mean, he really was like, honey, you don't realize, we have, when we get there, we'll get some stuff, but you can't take this with you. And she was mad. She said, I could not believe he was making me do that. And then I get to this little apartment. She said, it's the size of this apartment and this little bitty closet. And she said, now, I'm a woman who loved my clothes. And she said, I just thought, this is persecution. You know, I can only have this many clothes. And she said, it was the greatest thing I ever had. And she said, because I only had this little closet, every time I would buy something in Africa, I would celebrate what I would purchase. I'd go home, and I would take something out of my closet, and I would either give it away or sometimes just get rid of it. And so my closet always stayed the same. And I've never changed that philosophy. The weirdest thing this week, I got a couple free t-shirts at a conference. Marie said, well, you know what you got to do? I, because I do it every time. I go in my closet, take out a couple shirts I know I'll never wear again, and pitch them or give them to Salvation Army. It keeps the same size. It's just one of those conversations, and I don't even know why, but it's stuck. Now, the reason I mention that is because when you get into this text that we're going to get into, remember, it's all about a conversation. Jesus, which I love about Jesus, he takes the disciples and he lets them go with him and he allows them to encounter all these different people. And in this particular situation, what I love is that he allows them to eavesdrop. Like, I want you to hear this conversation because this one, this is one you're never going to forget. So if you've got your scriptures, you need to understand the power of this conversation because the whole focus is settling for less. And in our nation, again, that is hard. I love what Dave Ramsey says. Why do we buy things that we do not need with money we do not have to impress people we do not like? Do you know what I'm saying? That's what we do. We just buy stuff sometimes just to buy stuff. So today we're going to look at a biblical approach to cutting back and selling for less. So here's the biblical word today, and it's the word pruning. Now you're probably thinking, what does that have to do with this rich young ruler we're going to talk about? And I'll tell you what, it has everything to do. Okay, so turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? First of all, is that a bad question? It's a terrible question. There is nothing good. What can we do good to 
to have God's grace. There's nothing good that we can do to buy our ticket to heaven. Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones are you required? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What do I lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Let me just pause there. There's so much going on there. So this rich young guy, cocky, young guy comes up and he says, hey, Jesus. And he knows everybody's listening to this conversation. Hey, Jesus, um, putting a checklist here. I might want to join you and your, your boys here, but here's the deal. First of all, let's, let's get the easy one out of the way. Um, how do I get eternal life? Because he, he wants to hear the Jewish answer, obey the command. He's already ready to answer, I, I, do, the, I do that. But not only am I wealthy, and not only am I young and wealthy, I obey the commandments. I mean, they know me. I'm respected in the synagogue. Jesus already knows that. And then I love it because he launches into the, I, I can't wait for you to see the rest of my resume. What else do I need to do, Jesus? And then Jesus says, sell what? Everything. Now, I didn't know this until I was doing some digging about the Hebrew culture. And you know, in their Hebrew law, if you were wealthy, you were only by law allowed to give away 20% of all of your income at one time. Now, I thought that was interesting. Do you know why? Because your money impacted your entire family heritage. So the, there was laws in the books like, you're not going to wake up one day and decide I'm going to give all my money. That's, no, no, that affects your family. So 20%, if you go crazy, that's it. So when Jesus leans into him and says, I want you to give it all away, and he's saying, I want you to go against the Jewish law, and I want you to be willing to give it all away, and then follow me. I want you to be willing to settle for less. And we know by the reaction here that he walked away completely devastated. Let me ask you a loaded question here this evening. It may not be money, but what is it in your life? If Jesus truly said, follow me, give up this, would you have the hardest time letting go of? Because all of us have something. I mean, all of us have something, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a possession, there's some things like, oh, Lord, whatever you do, don't ask me to give that up. But that's the very thing Jesus says you need to give up to be my disciple. And it's just so rich. Verse 24, then Jesus gives a, an amazing uh, perspective on this. He said, you know, you need to understand how for this wealthy man, because you remember the disciples, they can't believe what's going on. They're like, if there's anybody that ought to be a disciple, Lord, it's this guy. I mean, he's got so much bank. Think of all the stuff we can do with this guy. Why would you turn him away? And Jesus says, hey, you need to understand something. It is so hard for a wealthy man to have his priorities straight. Matter of fact, it's, it's easier for a, a camel to go what? Through the eye of a needle. Now, it's interesting if you were to go in that very area where Jesus taught this lesson, that that eye of the needle actually represents a gate. There's an eye of a needle. It was a gate. They all knew exactly what Jesus meant. For a camel to get through that particular gate, there was only one way he could get through it. Anybody know how? He actually had to kneel down. 
So Jesus said, a wealthy man has to say, I'm willing to kneel down and give it all up. Do you see how hard it is to give that up? And the disciples still, their heads are reeling. Now, if you don't think the Bible is funny, look at verse 27. So Jesus is laying this on the disciples. The rich man walks away, and Jesus goes on to, it's so hard to give up your possessions. And you notice what Peter said, uh, Jesus, <laughs> we gave it all up. I mean, that is so Peter right there. It's like, Jesus, in case you didn't recognize, I'm at the front of the line. I gave it all. You know, it's just Peter just trying to push his way back into, look how great I am. So Jesus goes on to just teach them how important it is to live a life completely sold out to Jesus Christ, to be willing to say, Lord, take this thing in my life that I'm holding on so tight to, I can't let it go. But here's the lesson in life. When we reach that point, where Jesus is all we have, then we realize is Jesus is really all we ever needed. Would you agree with that? When you get to the very end and Jesus is all you have, it's an amazing turn of events when it's like, and he's all I need. Uh, we had a woman last year that we were ministering to. Uh, Marie and I, we were having a meal with her and she'd been through a terrible divorce, saying how devastating it was and all the, just the, the hurt that she had been through. And she said, and in my darkest moment, I just, just could not help but cling to the promises of Christ. And here's the amazing thing. She said, I've never been closer to Jesus Christ than when I went through that storm. And I bet some of you can relate to that. When you start letting go of this stuff in your life and you say, Lord, I just want to give it up. And he has this amazing way of saying, well, you think you're on empty, but man, I am going to fill you up with my grace. See, when you give your life, when I give my life to Christ, at that moment, we're no longer the minority in any problem. We're the majority because Jesus Christ is with us. This poor rich man walked away thinking, well, at least I kept my money. But what do you think he felt years later when he saw the disciples and he realized, you know, I had a chance to be one of those guys. I could have followed Jesus and I gave it up. I gave it up because my possessions meant more than my relationship with Christ. What is it you need to give up tonight? We just need to cling to Christ and let him do what only Christ can do. On March 30th, 1990, Michael Jordan had his greatest game ever as far as scoring. He went off for 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Jordan seemed to always go off on the Cleveland Cavaliers, but... That same game, there was a rookie by the name of Stacy King who scored one point. So after the game, they said, Stacy, you were a part of history tonight. What is it you're going to always remember? And here's what he said. I will always remember this is the night when Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> now that's what I'm talking about. It's like when you give your life to Christ, he is with you and he will take you to heights that you can't imagine and Christ loves that. Less is more. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. So let me get to the biblical principle about cutting away. And if I step on a few toes, um, good, because he's been stepping my toes all week. Let's think about what does it mean spiritually to allow God to cut away in your life and a lot of you have been doing this, I guarantee, and it is, um, it's in John 15, and it talks about pruning. How many of you uh, love to prune? 
Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I do love to cut stuff down. I mean, I love to get out in the yard and just take that stuff out. Uh, and I, I was watching a, a teaching video, and uh, it was an arborist, and he was saying, here's the ABCs of pruning. He said, the first thing you have to do is you have to assess the situation. So he says, you approach a tree, and you, you just have to know what you're looking for, and you're assessing in your mind what that's going to look like once you prune it. You assess everything. The second thing is you look for, I love this, the broken branches. So what is diseased and what is broken? And then you get after it and you start pruning that down. And then the C is competing branches. Now I didn't realize this part, but he said in any tree you look and you're trying to find the, the center point of that tree and he said, you want to see that tree that's climbing to the sky, and there may be competing branches that are healthy, but he said, sometimes you've got to prune those competing branches so that that tree is as strong as it can possibly be. Now, I want you to think about that spiritually, assessing the situation. That you look at your life, and you're willing to say, I'm willing to sit down with somebody else, and I'm willing to be accountable to them. I'm willing to allow somebody else to ask me the really tough questions. And I'm willing to be accountable and let somebody assess my life. I'm allowing God's word, God's spirit to assess my life. And then here's where it gets tough. The broken branches of life. The garbage in our life. The stuff that we know we have no business being involved in. Relationships we have no business being involved in. Uh, stuff that we have no business that have no business in our lives, are we willing to start cutting that stuff out of our lives? You know, we don't use the word repent very often in church, do we? But we should. And we need to get in there and say, God, take this stuff out of my life, the brokenness and the pain that is just wrecking my life. And then are you willing to step back and say, is, are there things in my life that are actually good, but they're competing against the thing that is best? And am I willing to set loose those things? And here's the big one is the things in your life that's burning the time away that you could be investing in others and pursuing Jesus Christ because we all have time wasters. All of us have time wasters. Uh, Brian and I were in <clears throat> this together, but a few years ago, I used to really be in this fantasy baseball and I didn't like it. I was obsessed with it. And I have that kind of personality, in case you don't know that. And so I didn't wake up every morning like, I just can't wait to pursue the Holy Spirit. I usually woke up like, I need a center fielder so bad. You know, and I would, I would dream about trades. And, and I mean, and it got to a point, I, I just felt like, this isn't good how much time I'm spending. Now, does that mean that's a sin? I mean, I couldn't find fantasy baseball was a sin in the Bible, but I knew what it was doing with my time. We all have those areas in our life like, is that competing against something? Even though it's good, is it competing against my relationship with Christ? Pruning, uh, the one common denominator about pruning um, is, it is what? Painful. In Hebrews, I love it, it says that it's, uh, he calls it discipline. Just as uh, endure hardship like discipline, children know the discipline of a father because a father loves us. Now there's God's way to prune and there's our way. Here's God's way. We learn from others 
past mistakes, others' past mistakes. That's called the Bible. You can actually read the Bible and go, boy, that, that looks to me like that's not a good route to go. God gave us this for a reason. He said, I want you to learn from other people's mistakes. And we learn from, in God's way, our mistakes. Like, you know, when I ran into that wall, it broke my nose. I don't think I'm going to run that wall again. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from others' mistakes. And God helps us to grow through that. It's painful, but it works. And then we do it our way. You know what our way is? We choose our sin. But here's the deal. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of your sin. And how often and how painful that's been in my life and in so many others' lives. But boy, the sooner you figure that out, if you want to be disciplined, let God do the discipline. Because if you don't do it God's way and you do it your way, watch out. Because if you think one way is painful, wait till you do it the other way. Pruning is what it's all about. I see this all the time. I'll pick on men because I work with men's ministry at Sherwood Oaks. Uh, men are stubborn. Anybody say amen to that with their health? You know, and so I'll visit a guy. I cannot tell you how many of these visits I've had. I'll visit a guy in the hospital, <coughs> and he'll say, yeah, I knew it was coming. Yeah, I got to lose 50 pounds. I said, really? I said, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, I don't know. The doctor's all over me. My wife's on my back. He says, if I don't lose the weight, I'm going to have a heart attack. So I said, what are you going to do? I guess I'm going to go on a diet. Now, you know what? He could have gone on that diet before he got to the hospital bed, right? Well, why did he wait to get to the hospital bed? Because that's the way we do That's who we are. We want to do it our way until it's like, no, your way isn't going to work. And that's what pruning is all about. And it's interesting that a, a master gardener, they talk about in the, the way they prune, especially with grapes. When Jesus spoke a lot about pruning, it was talking about grapes. Is the first part is they would actually lift the grapes up off the ground, lift up so that there's life, and that can be painful. Or you start cutting that stuff out because you get the, the major harvest by cutting that stuff out. Are we willing to say, God, start cutting this stuff out of my life so that I can really experience you? I want to close with something that happened, and uh, it's, it's amazing to me, but it's a demonstration of what can happen when you just start letting go of yourself and pouring into others. Uh, this conversation comes up a lot. I was with a group of folks this week. It came up again, and that is 9-11, uh, where you were during 9-11. Uh, I remember growing up, I can remember people always talking about where they were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. But 9-11 seems to be what a lot of people remember. And um, this is a story, it's interesting, about 9-11. And that is, if you remember, one of the most miraculous things that happened was all of those planes, they had to get all of those planes landed. Do you remember that? Because they didn't know how many more planes potentially had bombs on them, so they were landing them all over to just get them on the ground. And it was masterful how they landed these thousands of planes all over. Well, the planes that were going over the, the ocean, especially the Atlantic Ocean, what are you going to do with all those planes? Well, interestingly enough, they put an all call to different airports in Canada, and there was a little bitty airport in Gander, Canada. You ready? Population 10,000. And so they said, hey, whatever it takes, bring those planes. Whatever. Bring them. We're ready for it. 
53 of these huge planes landed at this little bitty airport. Imagine that landing at the little airport in Bloomington. Does Bedford have a little airport? Okay, picture the smallest airport and imagine 53 of these huge planes <coughs> from 100 people representing 100 different countries, 6,700 people poured off of those planes in a town of 10,000. Now, I don't know about you, but that would freak out a lot of towns. How in the world are you going to handle this? Not even close as far as hotel rooms. I think they had like 400 hotel rooms. You know what the town did? They celebrated that. They just went to town. All the churches opened their doors. They said they couldn't believe all the churches and schools, and people started bringing in their home blankets and food, and they fed them, and they... They brought clothes in. and tooth. They even asked for people who had special diets. They made sure to bring in the special food. And it almost became a three-day party. And the people that were there that, that three-day stretch, you can only imagine 9-11. You remember how chaotic it was. And, and they said, in all the world's madness, we experienced generosity like we'd never seen before. So much so that on one of the planes on their way back to their home, started brainstorming about we should do something for Gander. And they developed this huge trust for high school students that are graduating from Gander. That came out of a conversation that came out of generosity. When I read that, I thought, that's the church. That's when the church is at its best. It's when the church just pours out generosity that is unexplainable. It's when the church cuts back the madness of this world and gets right into the heart of Jesus and all you can think about is how can I serve you? How can I help you? What can I do to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you, there's a ripple effect when the church does that. There is an amazing ripple effect. When we walk away from what we think we have to have and we start striving towards living with less, he gives us more. And then we just keep giving it away. Matter of fact, if you think the most beautiful thing about Jesus is when he said to the rich young ruler, I want you to give it away. You remember what Jesus said to give it away to? The poor. It could have been so easy for Jesus to say, you know, if you, you pay me this, you can be my disciple. No way. Jesus said, I don't need that money. I don't want the money. Just give it to the people who need it. He's asked us to be willing to live with less and then let him work in our life and then give it all away. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we have a spirit of generosity every day of our lives, that we have an opportunity to do so much if we can learn to just live with less. Lord, I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about possessions. I mean less that we we lean more into you and think less about us and that you have the heart of hospitality you have the heart of generosity and we need to have the same heart lord be with us as we go from this place help us to be generous help us to lean completely into you and give it all to you and then give it all away to others it's in jesus name that i pray amen